thank you that there are many watching, some even all the way in Wyoming this morning. We thank you that we have an opportunity to reflect on your blessings and your goodness and your faithfulness. I ask that you allow me to speak only your truth this morning and that that is all that is received. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, 2020, it's been a year that is certainly going to push every button that we human beings have. Our world has endured or is continuing to endure a pandemic, depression, grief, murder hornets, venomous caterpillars, monkey stealing COVID tests, hurricanes beyond hurricanes, floods, fire nados, layoffs, protests, dissent about whose lives matter, contentious elections, hybrid education, no education, some education, go pick up your kids early from college education, a very early start to summer vacation, except you and your kids couldn't go anywhere except camping, quarantines, toilet paper shortages, cleaning supply shortages, masks, and cancellations from everything to prom to overseas trips to Italy. How are we supposed to exist in all of this? What are we supposed to do when absolutely nothing seems to be going our way? Well, the scripture says that there's three things that we need to do. Full disclosure, Paul's recipe sounds a little too simplistic, but we're going to give it a shot anyway. Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. When we look at the setup of the verses, the three things seem really simple, right? Be joyful, pray, and offer thanks. And why should we do this? Because this is God's will for us if we are believers. Now, admittedly, Paul sometimes has a way of saying things that makes it sound really easy, right? I mean, we know he wrote most of the New Testament and, you know, he's got all this wisdom and stuff, but... He always just makes it sound super easy. And this is 2020. I mean, he didn't live through the stuff we're living through. But Paul did have an almost parental love for the churches that he founded. So let's look at Paul's idea through the lens of a parent or parental figure. If you've ever been a parent or a babysitter, you can relate to this scenario. The kids want cookies and ice cream for dinner and you tell them no repeatedly. They ask why, and you say, because I say so. Now, you don't really mean because I say so. You just don't want to get into the longer and truly better explanation of why they can't have ice cream and cookies for dinner. If you wanted to, you could say that you know cookies and ice cream taste really good, and that you would love for those cutie patooties to have the desires of their heart and their tummy. But you know that if you always let them have what they want, it would not be good for them. Eventually, they will gain weight, become sluggish, and perhaps develop diabetes. So as a parental figure, you tell them, I'm going to propose a better option. 
that is better for you, not only today, but also in the long run. We are going to have a diet that is well balanced with the nutrients that you need, and sometimes you can definitely have the desires of your heart, but it's better daily to have what is good for you. Paul loved those in Thessalonica. He was their parental figure, if you will. He wanted those in Thessalonica to understand that the simplest way to get to a balanced lifestyle was to do what was good for them. Indeed, these three things are good for all of us. Paul suggests balancing joy, prayer, and thanksgiving daily. So we're going to look at those three verses separately. 1 Thessalonians 5:16, always be joyful. Joy has been defined by Theopedia as a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. It is something or someone that provides a source of happiness. Paul rightly knew that our source of joy is in Father God and Christ Jesus. Acknowledging that our source of joy is not here on earth requires a maturity of looking at even the most devastating circumstances and knowing that there is still a source of happiness. That source is our Father in heaven. As Christians, we are always told that we should find reasons to be joyful, and I admit, I'm a glass, glass is half empty kind of person. This is difficult for me too. When I don't like how the circumstances look on earth, I look beyond earth, I think to eternity. When I find myself missing my mom or dad or my grandmother, I think of the blessing that they're not in pain anymore. My mom has a clear mind, my dad doesn't have metastasized cancer. My grandma can breathe freely, and she can sing God's praises. When I find myself frustrated with something that one of my daughters has done, I think of the blessing that I am a mother to three children. I think of the blessing that my diagnosis was wrong, and I could carry Helena to term despite a month-long bed rest. I think of the blessing that Haley's diagnosis was wrong, and she did not have the chromosomal and or heart issues the doctors were certain would not have given her the quality of life she now has. I think of the surprise of my youngest, Hannah, who brings us delight every day just by being herself. And the source of all of these wonderful things? God. If we can't find reason to be joyful, our perspective must change. God lets us have blessings every day. We should be able to see them and give thanks for them. If we are still having difficulty, we can ask the Holy Spirit for help. The second fruit that the Holy Spirit provides is joy. The Holy Spirit produces joy. It's a simple product of us being a Christian. And did you know, and we really need to know this in 2020, that you can be joyous and sad at the same time? Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I don't want to be dismissive of those who are grieving. I work in a profession where death is a natural byproduct of living. But even in the times that you've missed your loved ones, there's a story of memory that brings you joy. As I said earlier, if that loved one is a believer, there is no greater feeling than resting in the joy of knowing that they are now okay. 
and the darkest of times, you can miss them, you can be sad, you can even wish they were here, but you can also recognize that the joy of the Lord is your strength. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying. My two oldest daughters tell stories about me praying for hours on the phone with women who used to call from our previous church. I think they're exaggerating. <laughs> they said that they would know by the tone of my voice when the call changed from conversation to prayer. And as much as I pretend that those stories irritate me, they don't. I have those same stories about my own grandmother, and I am prayerful that it will set an example for my daughters as they grow older, that they will learn that you can and should pray whenever. In times of need, and just to check in, prayer is simply a conversation with God. And I think Jesus is the best example of one who did not shy away of talking with God. Jesus, who was entirely God and entirely man, was facing death. And what did he want to do before facing the most enormous and consequential task of his life? He prayed. And who did he pray for? Us. Let me read you just a short bit of John chapter 17, verses 9 and 15. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Jesus, the most remarkable man on earth, who has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, I say has because he's still living, who has the power to change water into wine, who could tell the sea to be still, who could stop the execution of a woman who rightfully was being punished by writing unknown words on the ground, he thought the most important thing to do before he gave up his life was to have quiet time with God and intercede on our behalf. If this is the model offered by the one we profess to believe in, why are we so dismissive of prayer? Why don't we seek quiet time with our Father in heaven? Why do we tell people we will pray for them but never actually do it? What does it say about us as Christians that we think we don't need to remain in constant communication with God? Why are we convinced that we have the answers? What is it about us that makes us think that we can do better than our own creator, than the master and creator of the universe? It's sin. It's the lies Satan the deceiver sneaks into our spirit at night. It's the pride that is, is instilled in us from the first I can do it myself moment as a toddler. It's human and it's normal, but it is not godly. It is sinful. We can go to God about absolutely everything. Even when we're mad, just last week, Pastor Bud reminded us in his message that you can indeed pray angrily. And we should, because otherwise it keeps us from being the person we want to be, the person God wants us to be. I went through a not talking to God moment for about six months after my grandmother died. I was so angry 
And my friend Sarah took me aside and said, God knows you're mad at him. You might as well talk to him about it. <laughs> that was 23 years ago, and it may have just been the best advice that I have ever received. Praying to God allows a more intimate relationship with him. It shows that we know we can rely on him with any and all of our problems. It offers clarification on decisions that we need to make, and it empowers us to boldly proclaim to others when our thought processes are firm and clear. Prayer will provide hope and comfort, even in the worst of circumstances. I've prayed that God's will be done in all kinds of circumstances, knowing that sometimes he would offer the outcome that hurt on earth, but was best in heaven. I've prayed outside with my oldest daughter and neighbor while my husband was being taken away by ambulance. That was just last month. He is here with our family today. I've prayed that a family I'm close to would find their missing loved one alive. Many of you helped in those search efforts. She is in heaven. I've prayed in a hospital waiting room with a dear friend and other friends of hers while we waited for news of her husband who collapsed while jogging. They're both listening right now. I've prayed after Bible studies with a few wiser and older congregants over a daughter in my womb who was predicted not to survive. She's the smartest in our house. I've prayed that a dear friend and family member would be healed after a horrible car accident. We had to say goodbye to him. I've prayed that my mother-in-law would be cured. She's in heaven too. And the prayer I am probably most thankful for is the prayer my husband and I prayed with my dad when he accepted Christ at the age of 80. So that when he did succumb to his illness, I knew I would see him again. So I know that prayer doesn't always give me the desires of my heart, but God never promised that it would. He did, however, promise the best outcome for me. He's promised the best outcome for you, which is why Paul points us to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12.28 reminds us that since we are thanking God, it's because we are looking forward to our eternity with him. Jill talked this morning in the children's message about how in Revelation we're all going to be victorious. That's what we're looking towards. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. If you're not big on expressions of thanks, I hate to tell you, especially those of you who are Pennsylvania Dutch, sorry, Pastor Bud, but there's no quiet section in heaven. There will be songs of victory in heaven, and John gives us a preview in Revelation chapter 19. I promise I'm only just going to read a little of it. After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And again, their voices rang out, praise the Lord. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God, who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, amen, praise the Lord. 
Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Praise the Lord that we always, always, always have reasons to lift up God's name in thanks, adoration, and awe. My friend Karen commented in a Bible study last month that praise was the antidote to our own sorrow and sin. Karen is a wise woman. She is a retired chaplain's wife, and I know that she and her husband have helped military families through trials and circumstances we could not even want to imagine. What I love about Karen is that she always has a thankful heart. I think that is because she recognizes that in belonging to Christ Jesus, we have a good shepherd who will always take care of us. So there's never a need not to be thankful. Sometimes when I'm going through something, I like to take a snippet of the Bible and make it really personal. Like I'll insert myself or take words out or add words in because it makes it more real to me. So I did that this morning with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides all my needs. He makes me rest in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Even when, and I will, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because Jesus will be with me. His rod and his staff will comfort me. Jesus is preparing a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Jesus will anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows now, my cup will overflow then, and I will lack nothing. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will always dwell in God's house. You see, Jesus came into the world to die on the cross for all of our sins, to make things right for all of the wrong things that we have ever done, to offer a way of atonement from the brokenness and destruction that sin leaves in our lives. The metaphor of the Good Shepherd gives us an understanding of how God reaches out to those of us, to all of us, who are lost sheep. Sheep aren't intelligent, and without a shepherd, sheep are prone to wander. And that is precisely our human condition. Without God as our shepherd, we are prone to wander. And our wandering turns into sin, which results into mistakes and regrets. Some of those regrets may have been fully on display this year, in 2020, the year of social distancing. This has been a bad year. A lot of us have grieved and said goodbye to children, to fathers, grandfathers, mothers, grandmothers, sisters, brothers, and good friends. A lot of us have been creative with our finances because we lost jobs. A lot of us are depressed and it's way beyond a feeling because we are actually isolated and alone by law and not by choice. But we can be thankful because God gave us a shepherd who died for us 
so that we can have a world that we cannot imagine one day. Last scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is a place beyond our imagination. More beautiful than any eye has seen, more lush, plentiful, and magical than any story our ear has ever heard. And getting into that wondrous place costs us nothing but submission to God and acceptance of Christ. I pray that when we focus forward and upward and above, that above all, we will be able to find reasons to always be joyful, pray, and offer thanksgiving. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so very much that even in this Thanksgiving season that's ending, and as we're heading into Advent, where we are waiting and planning on celebrating the season of your son's birth, that we not forget that every good and perfect thing does come from you. Let us focus on things above and things in eternity and not just on the here and now because that just catches us in a quagmire of despair. We love you, Lord God, and we thank you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.